Uh, if you're a guest, we're so glad to have you. I'm David. I'm the pastor. Thanks for coming. I know it's a little crowded. It's going to be that way more and more. Uh, that's why we're in a building program. We'll tell you this, that uh, there was, you know, the exact same service. If time doesn't matter, 11 o'clock, it's about two-thirds the size of this service. So that may help. There's still, you know, we still have seats around, but it does get crowded. 12.15, there's plenty of room. It's a little bit shorter service. But the good news is, that's the fourth time I preached the message. So maybe I figured it out by then. That may work that way. I don't know. So we're so glad you're here. Uh, it's 30 degrees outside, and we have the AC on. So it's, uh, it's just a great way to go. So if you're a little chilly, it's because we don't want you to fall asleep. That's why. When you, and then because the person next to you may not want you to nod off and lean on them and all that good stuff. So we're there. We're in a series entitled Breakthrough. And um, it started the first of the year. We're going to go through April. It's the longest sermon series I've ever done. So on the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I could go four years on Mark. We're just going to go four months because you can't cover everything. But the thing to realize about Mark, and all four of the gospel writers are writing the life of Jesus. It culminates in the resurrection of Christ, and that's fantastic. They all, they all have kind of their audience. And the audience of Mark primarily is Gentiles because Christianity, about when Mark wrote about 58, 60 AD, Christianity is moving towards more and more Gentiles. And Mark most, most likely got his information from Peter. The early church said he went to Rome. Peter was there, got it from Peter, came back and wrote it. And the thing about Mark that's so important for us, and what I really want us to see over these weeks, is that writing to a primarily Gentile audience, Mark's account of the life of Jesus provided a breakthrough for people who knew nothing of the love of God. Do you realize Gentiles back then, because they came from pagan backgrounds, they didn't know the love of God. Mark's gospel tells them about that love, just like Mark's gospel continues to tell us about the love of God today. Last week, we talked about breakthrough faith, what it meant to really have faith in Jesus. And today, we're going to come to the sixth message in this series called Breaking Tradition. And in this sermon, we're going to be in the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. And here's the thing that I want you to think about on this message today. In following Jesus, what really matters? If you're going to follow Jesus, what really matters? <clears throat> Jesus said in the first couple of messages we saw, repent and believe the gospel and come follow me. If you're going to follow Jesus, what really matters? <clears throat> and so with that question in mind, I'm going to ask you two more questions today. And, and the first is this, who or what is our authority? Who or what is our authority? Authority matters. We sometimes talk about authority figures, you know, people like police officers. They hold the position of authority. We respect that. Uh, but, but authority is more than a position. Authority is about the right or the responsibility to oversee something. For instance, in our country, our ultimate authority as a country is the Constitution. It's not a person. It's a document. And we all say we're going to abide ultimately by the authority of the Constitution. Parents, you're the authority in your child's life. You have the right and the responsibility to do a good job to raise your kids, to raise them up the way they should go. Um, in, in May, which is always kind of our family month, we're going to have a sermon series about parents and their kids. And it's not just about parents, grandparents, all of us. That's an important series. You have a responsibility. You're the authority in your kid's life. In the day of Jesus, authority didn't center in his world so much about the authority of the government because, you know, Caesar kind of had that. It didn't really center around the authority of the family because everybody knew that was the parents. For Jesus, dealing 
with the Jewish people, it was the authority of their faith, or really what had moved from being faith to religion. And the Pharisees, and later on the Sadducees, we'll see, and the scribes thought they were the authority about the Jewish religious system they had created. Now, we ended last week, chapter 5, with Jesus raising the daughter Jairus up from the dead. We're going to skip chapter 6. Phenomenal chapter. I could preach a whole series just on that chapter. Then in chapter 6, Jesus sends out the 12. Jesus um, <coughs> talks about uh, John the Baptist, and Mark gives us the account of the death of John the Baptist. We see Jesus sending out the five, uh, feeding the 5,000, which occurs in all four Gospels. Jesus walks on water. What a magnificent miracle that is. But for the purpose of our series, we're going to go past that. You need to read it. We're going to go past that. We're going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. Now, we've already seen Jesus deal with the Pharisees and the scribes. And three weeks ago, we saw him deal with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which was God's intent for us to rest from worship so that we could worship him, rest from work so we could worship him as a day of rest. They had taken that Jewish Sabbath and they had turned it into a system of rules and regulations that become a burden. He had dealt with the scribes who considered Jesus to be Satan. That's what they tried to convince the people. This is Satan working here. Later on, he would deal with the Sadducees closer to the cross. He dealt with these people. They had come down from Jerusalem, the center of the, the religious system of the Jews. And they had seen that some of his disciples, those were the followers of Jesus, were eating their bread with impure hands. That is, they were unwashed. Now, in verse 3 and 4, which we're not going to read, but I'm going to go over a little bit, Mark explains to his Gentile audience what that means. That's why things are written to a Gentile. Washing was very important. It was a ceremonial thing. It wasn't a hygiene thing. And so what he tells us is they would be out in, in the marketplace in the streets with all the Gentiles, and they would come in before they do anything else. They'd ball their fit, hand up in a fist, pour water so it would drip down. They would rub it, and, and, and ceremonially they would be clean. Now, this all goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, I believe verse 19, when uh, speaking through Moses, God says, when Aaron, the high priest, comes into the tabernacle, the holy place, he and his descendants, who are going to be the priesthood, need to wash themselves. They need to make themselves pure. Now, the purpose of that was because all of us are unclean in the sight of God. God is a holy God. To be holy means to be complete, lacking in nothing. And that which is common or defiled or profane, the word defiled or impure, comes from the concept of being common. It's the word koinos. We get our term koinonia, fellowship, having stuff and sharing in common. We were a fellowship of believers. That's the positive sense of it. But in the negative sense, it can be that which is profane in the eyes of God. Well, Aaron would cleanse himself so he could be committed to God. The Pharisees had taken that one little concept and developed, and in the scribes as well, an entire system of how you would have to wash, not to dedicate yourself to God, but to separate yourself from the Gentiles. So in verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk or live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now understand, this battle is not going to be about eating with impure hands hands. This battle is going to be about the tradition of the elders. Tradition can be a great thing. It means to be handed down. For instance, 
Most schools have traditions to get everybody excited and fired. Regions of the country or states have traditions. Where I come in San Antonio on the last Friday of April, during the time of Fiesta, the fourth Friday of April, we, all the school kids get off for the Battle of Flowers Parade. That is our tradition. I notice y'all don't celebrate the Battle of Flowers Parade in Las Cruces. And so you don't have our traditions. Traditions can inspire, can unite, they can be positive things. But traditions can get in the way as well. So what you have to realize is that when, when you come to the time of Jesus, now the time when what we call the Old Testament or what they call the scriptures ended, or the last real prophet, more or less, was Malachi. And then some people think there was some stuff after that, but for all our purposes, Malachi, that's 450 years. 450-year gap between Malachi and, and the time of Jesus. More than that, really, but about 450. Now think, 450 years ago. 450 years ago, 1572. Now, the pilgrims came 400 years ago in 1620. I mean, there, there, there was nothing in America. There was Native Americans, I get that. But I mean, but th- what we think of colonial time didn't exist. There's nothing. 450 years ago, that's a long time. Well, in that gap, what began to happen <clears throat> is the stuff that God had revealed that had been written down. They began to talk about it and explain it. Nothing new was coming. So they began to have discussions. What does all this mean, especially in their life and the way they lived? And there began to develop a group of guys that they considered themselves scholars or great teachers who would comment on all of that Old Testament stuff on their scriptures. Their commentary, their thoughts, their beliefs, their understandings became law. It was called the oral law, not the written, but the oral law. And by the time you get to the Jesus The oral law had as much authority as the written law. And the keepers of the oral law were the scribes and the Pharisees and other religious leaders. They became the experts. And they were the ones who defined the Jewish religious system. Not a faith anymore, just the system. And Jesus always was doing battle with them. Because the authority of the elders had replaced the authority of God. You have to understand, this is what's behind all this. The authority of the religious leaders, looking back to the oral law of the elders, had replaced the authority of God. So it becomes about who or what is your authority. In verse 6, and Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah. Notice what Jesus does. He bypasses their so-called authority. He bypasses the scribes and Pharisees. He goes back to Isaiah. Everybody knew Isaiah was one of the great writing prophets of Jewish history. I mean, everybody would refer to Isaiah. He was the authority. God has spoken through Isaiah. Thus saith the Lord, Isaiah speaks. They all knew that he was the authority. Jesus bypasses those guys. He goes straight to an authority they all knew. He said, he, why did he prophesy of you hypocrites? We all love the word hypocrite. Nobody likes being called a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. I hear people say, I don't want to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. Hell's full of hypocrites. Every restaurant in town will be full of hypocrites. Everybody's full of hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek, Roman concept of a, of a play going on. And they didn't have multiple actors. So, you know, people would have multiple parts and they would hold up a mask and they would switch masks depending upon their part. They would switch faces. You get the term two-faced hypocrite. He said, that's you guys. Now understand, Isaiah 
750 years before these guys. He said he talked about you as hypocrites. Here's what he wrote, Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips. He's, he's not going from the Hebrew version. He's going from the Greek version of the Old Testament when Mark writes. They honor me with their lips. They, they revere me with their lips. They give me lip service. Uh, but their heart is far away from me. The heart wasn't the place of the emotion. The heart was the place of decisions, their commitments. He said, your lips honor me, but your heart is far away. Notice else what God says through Isaiah. But in vain or empty is what that means. Do they worship me? Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. What that means is this. They teach the teachings of men as if they were commands. They take what men wrote. And they teach that and what men said as if it's more important than what God said. In verse 8, Jesus comments this way. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. You neglect. That means you nullify the commandments of God. For what? Men's traditions. And then he's going to give an example in verses 9 through 12. I won't read it, but I'll tell you what it is. It's simpler to do it that way. It's about what they call the korban. Now, in our culture, and this happens sometimes, Someone, sometimes people will own a house or property, and they say, they tell us, in my will, I'm leaving you that piece of property, that house. That's happened. So I'm going to give you that house, and when I die, it goes to the church. In the meantime, I own it, and maybe they have rental property of it, whatever. Now, that's great, and that's fine, but, but they can still take that house if they want and sell it and use it for whatever they want, and we don't get it. And that's fine, too. That happens, that happens sometimes. We get that. But that's the concept. Well, back in Jesus' day, they could do the same thing. Guy could take property. And he said, I'm going to give it to the temple. And in doing so, he would take a vow called the Korban. He vowed it to the temple. And now, he could still use that property for whatever he wanted. In fact, he could sell that property even for himself and keep the money. But he couldn't use it for anything else. Now, here's what was happening. Back then, they didn't have retirement, Social Security, 401Ks. They didn't have a lot of stuff. So, People who were older, they relied on their kids to take care of them. That's why they would have so many kids, hoping that one of them amounted to something. Some of you have done the same thing. Why do you have so many kids? You're praying that one of them will make something in their life they can take care of you when you get old. Debbie and I, we just have the one. We put all our eggs in one basket. That egg got cracked a long time ago. That ain't going to happen. I'm pretty much convinced I love my daughter. She ain't ever going to be married into the Rockefeller family. I can tell you that right now. But back then, the fourth commandment said, or excuse me, the fifth commandment says this, you honor your father and mother. You honor them. That's, we all understand that. But further stuff that was said by Moses to the people was, do not despise your parents. If you despise them or, or, or treat them poorly, you can be put to death. So taking care of your parents was important. So a parent back then would go broke, destitute. They wouldn't have anybody. And so their child would have the means to help them, but they couldn't because, not because they didn't want to. They couldn't sell that property and take the money to help their parent. Because the scribes and the Pharisees would not let them. They said, you made a vow, and they forced them to keep the vow and not help their parents, which is what God would have wanted. Reading from the New Living Translation, let me tell you what verse 13 says. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. 
And this is only one example on many others. You take the word of God and you exit out to stuff you just made up. Because that's what they did. They made that up. We make stuff up all the time. And it replaces what God wants us to do. Think about, and so in my 40 years of ministry, the big thing has always been music. Let me tell you this about music. If the words honor God, it's good to go. Whatever the instruments and tunes, it don't matter if it honors God. And, and I can remember all the battles about music that we would have. I can, I can remember, I can remember Laredo when we were, people get upset if you did, if we did in the, the modern stuff like now, I mean, we have a traditional service here and modern services, we're all good. But I mean, I remember we were going to have drums and people raised a fit. You can't have drums. Can't, the, the satanic, it's of the devil. <laughs> Psalms 150, verse four. Praise the Lord with timbrels. And I, I have to add this part, I don't want to, and dancing. I don't like the dancing part. I'm a Baptist. Now, Brian's not in this service. He's in the next one. I'm not going to mention this part in the next service because Brian always wants to, can we dance? I'm like, no, you've got to have one foot on the ground at all times. <laughs> as long as you can have one foot on the ground at all, all these people up here, they have to have one foot on the ground at all times. It's rule. And then the last verse of Psalm 150, the last verse of the Psalm says this. And praise the Lord of the Psalms. I'm not there yet. You're in the, praise the Lord with symbols. Loud Clanging symbols. How often do we just make stuff up? Replace scripture. Some, some people, some groups, some denominations say you've got to be baptized to be saved. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. What? You know, in Luke 23, there's this guy hanging on the, on the cross called the thief on the cross. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he never got baptized. Do you know in scripture, we don't see Peter, James, John, Andrew, I can name the rest of the apostles, but I won't because I forget them. Paul, <laughs> there's no account of any of them getting baptized. Uh, we, we believe, I believe they did, sure. There's, you'd think if it was important to be in there. It's not. We got churches, probably got a church down the street. If you don't read from the King James Version, the King James English Version of the Bible, you're as a pastor. That's all they allow. I'm, I'm a false prophet. I've been called a false prophet. I've been called a heretic because I don't read from the King James Version. I like the King James. Nothing wrong with it. Just can't understand it. I don't speak Shakespearean English. <laughs> if I did that, young people today, then what are you talking about? It, it, and I've heard it. It's the authorized version. King James authorized it. King James was a pedophile who molested young boys. That's the guy who authorized that version. So be careful when you go to King James as your authority. We make stuff up. And we cancel out the Word of God. We say, people say, me reading from the New American Standard, where I just read to you basically everything that you see in the King James. I'm a false prophet. We take our traditions and we put it in place of God's Word. Verse 14 says this, and after he called the crowds to him again, <laughs> Peter told Mark, listen, they were having a preacher's conversation. Jesus deprives and scares. By the way, preachers, we have these debates all the time. You don't even know the dumb things we talk about. He began calling the crowd to him. And he began to say to them, listen to me. Not to them. Listen to me, Jesus says. And understand this. There is nothing, not a thing, outside the man that can defile him. 
They go say to him, nothing, the Pharisees said, all that stuff defiles you. Nothing outside of you can make you impure in the eyes of God. But the things which proceed out of the man or which are inside are what defile the man. Oh, if you keep on reading, he'll tell you what some of those are. What makes you unclean is what's in here. That was the Pharisees and scribes' problem. In their arrogant self-righteousness, they thought they were the keepers of the kingdom. They thought they were the authority and not God. Who or what is your authority? I'll show you the second thing I want to ask you, which is this. What really matters? What really matters? As I was preparing this message this week, this really hit me, this message. Because here I am, I'm, I'm the preacher, and I'm supposed to preach the Word of God. I'm supposed to preach the Bible, the New Testament. And I wonder, are there times that I take me and put it in place of God? Notice what verse 8 says. Neglecting the commandment of God. Do I neglect the commandment of God to hold to the traditions of David? Man, is that what I do? Is that what churches do? Understand this. Do not confuse tradition with revelation. By revelation, I don't mean the book. I mean that aspect of reality that says the only way we know God is he reveals himself to us. The four pillars of Christianity, two of those pillars are found in the New Testament. The incarnation of Christ, Christmas that he is God in the flesh. And the resurrection of Christ, Easter, he was raised back from the dead. And then two from the Old Testament, creation. God made everything in revelation, which is there with creation. God reveals himself to us. All we know from God is what he revealed. Understand this. God reveals himself to us specifically in the Old and New Testament. Those two testaments is how he specifically reveals himself to us. We focus mostly on the new because of Christianity. But that's how he reveals himself to us. And ultimately in Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God is always Jesus. And if God is the ultimate authority and he reveals himself to us ultimately in Jesus, that means our authority is always Jesus. He is the authority of life. And we've got to understand that. Here's the thing. We oftentimes take the things we enjoy and like and we substitute that thinking that's what Jesus enjoys and likes. I mean, I'm a follower of Christ. If I like this, Jesus must like this. It's easy to confuse what God likes, what, what you like, with what God likes or demands or expects. It's easy to do that. We do it all the time. I spent all my life as a Baptist, Southern Baptist pastor for 40 years. And almost, I'm over 41 actually. And, and every Baptist church, I've, been, started, I've pastored in or been in, all that looked the same initially. You know, in Baptist churches, no, we don't have it here, but in Miranda, we had it. If you look at a Baptist church, in the middle of the church, there's the Lord's Supper table. There's a pulpit. Then up there where that screen is, there should be a baptistry. They're all that way. Most people have no idea why it's that way. Why is all that in the center just like that? Because it's Baptist. In our faith, and rightly so, that is the central part of what we do as Baptists, as Christians. But as, our, as a Baptist, we express it that way. We proclaim the word of God so people might be saved. Once they're saved, they go into the baptistry, we put them in, bring them back out. And then from that point on, we take the Lord's Supper as worship and witness. Well, we don't have any of those here. Does that mean that those things aren't important to us? No, of course they're important. Every week, I proclaim to you the Word of God. I, and I, that's what I do. I, I, I do that. When I'm not doing it, the other guys are doing it. They, they, the music is all about God's Word. 
It, that's central. And once people are saved, we still baptize them. We just have a different baptistry. We have that little portable one over there that the guy set up. But let me tell you this. They get just as wet in that baptistry as this back. <laughs> and we don't need the Lord's Supper table, you know, because we use those fancy little cups now that everybody loves so much. It has both the pill and the wafer and the juice self-contained. We all love those, don't we? They're still important. I remember uh, in Laredo, gosh, a long time ago when I got rid of the pulpit right after I got there. You have to understand, in classically being trained as a pastor, you were classically trained to, to write out your sermons. Okay? I, you write your sermon out verbatim. I've written one sermon in my life out. That was in seminary. It's the only time I've ever done. I hate writing. I don't write my, I've never written my sermons. So the other, I don't write them out, and I don't have notes, and, and I just, there's a way I've, it gets done. It just happens. So, uh, I mean, I work, spend a lot of time studying, don't get me wrong, and I write stuff down, but I don't bring it here with me. And uh, so I'm in Laredo, and in the pulpit, I move around a lot. And pulpits just get in your way. You constantly move around the pulpit. So I don't need that. So I don't have any notes, and I don't have to move around. Why do I need a pulpit? Well, people say to put your Bible on. Okay, but I can put my Bible on a table. So I got rid of the pulpit. Oh, man, people got so upset. Deacons especially. Oh, God, deacons get upset over things that don't ever. Hey, here's a thought. Go visit the poor and the lost and quit worrying about the pulpit. Not y'all, but back then. There are other things I would tell y'all, but not then. And somebody said, you've got to have a pulpit. Why? You've got to place your Bible there, and you've got to pound the pulpit when you preach. <laughs> so I'll put the Bible there, and you come stand next to me, and I'll just pound on you for a little bit. When I... It's crazy what we do and what we think. We take our traditions and we exchange it. Over the last couple of years, I've made radical changes really in the way I preach. I still preach expositional sermons, but I used to, when I first came even to, to here, you know, I would stand up and I would read the Bible at the beginning of my message. I'd read the passage. And then after I read the passage, you know, I put it down and I preach. But, you know, we put the, the passage up on the screen. So in a while, I quit doing that. And the main reason I quit picking up the Bible and reading it here it's because even with glasses, I can't read the print. <laughs> Honest to goodness. And I don't want to do this, and I, and I will never buy a large print Bible. <laughs> so we just put it up there. And then, in time, I just sort of experiment. And instead of reading the passage at the very beginning, I tried once or twice just to do it in the middle of the sermon. And I see how it went. I was talking to Debbie about a year, a little over a year and a half ago. And my wife, this is, this is an amazing, this is an amazing thing about my wife. My wife's been a Christian over 50 years, and she's 39 years of age, okay? <laughs> she said, it's easier when you just read the passage as you go through instead of the beginning. It's easier to follow. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's what I do now. Because all the other was just tradition. We let our traditions get in the way of reaching people. For Jesus all the time, and churches do it. We live at a tough time in our culture, don't we? Everybody seems to be against Christianity, anti-Jesus. Why? Well, isn't part of that our responsibility? Have we not failed to share Jesus? Is it not possible that tens of millions, no, make that hundreds of millions of people, got turned off because we exchanged Jesus with tradition? And people came and didn't want our traditions. What they needed was Jesus. 
and we didn't give them Jesus, we canceled that out and we gave them tradition. I asked the question, what really matters? Here's the answer. What really matters is that people trust Jesus as Savior, that they follow him. Nothing else matters. So, as I said at the beginning of my message, in following Jesus, what really matters? Jesus matters. Jesus matters. And so the question is, do you really know Jesus? I don't care how many times you've been burned by a church. I don't care how many times some church's traditions have turned you off and you're here for whatever reason, someone drugged you, you thought you'd give it one more chance. I get that. Listen, I've been around a long time. I've been burned a few times by churches too. But Jesus is all that matters. This church is important so we can tell people about Jesus. Have you trusted Christ to be your Savior? If not, why not? Jesus said this. This is all that matters. He said you repent of your sin. You believe in the gospel. That is me. And you follow me. Jesus said you follow me. Have you followed Christ? If not, why not? I pray that sometime over the next few weeks and months, you will commit your life to following Jesus. And if you want to follow him today, you can follow him now. You can give your life to Jesus where you sit. In just a moment, some of us will be standing here. Ladies, if you'd rather talk to a woman, there'll be a woman up here, maybe two. And if you want to give your life to Christ, you can. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this. Who is your authority? Who or what's your authority? If your tradition is your authority, you got a problem. Make sure the authority of your life is Jesus Christ. And you understand what you like is important, but not as much as what he likes. And you put that first. And if you need today to get yourself right with Christ, we'll pray with you if you want. If you want us to pray for a loved one, we'll do that. If you have some issue in your life, we'll pray with you. If you want to join our church, you can. Listen, I don't know what you need to do. But I know this. We need to break away from all our traditions and have a breakthrough and follow Jesus. So, Lord, we come before you knowing it's easy to let us get in the way following you. Lord, we don't ever want to do that. We don't ever want to get in the way of following you. And I pray that those who don't know Christ will at some point, if not today, then soon, come to realize they need Jesus. They will repent of their sin, and they'll believe that he is the Lord, and they'll follow him with their life. If that can be today, Lord, let it be today. And all of us who are followers, wherever we may be in our spiritual journey, quit worrying about the outside stuff. Focus on Christ. Let's follow him. Let's do that today, Lord. In the name of Christ.